The text for today comes from the book of Revelations. So we're going to read verses 9 and 10. Revelations chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Lord, please speak to us this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. This passage paints this amazing image or picture of what heaven looks like. Or even better, what heaven will look like. This image or vision is sort of the graduation party for the Christian church. It's a celebration for the Christian church. What is interesting, though, is that in this graduation, this celebration, this vision, at the center of attention is not the church, is not people. The center of attention is God. And we find God the Father and Jesus is standing right next to him as the center of everything. This graduation, celebration, and vision, the center of attention is not the church, it is God. And all these group of people have one thing in mind, one purpose, one goal, one aim, and it's to praise God. And that's why they have palm branches in their hands. What makes heaven beautiful is not that we're going to be there. What makes heaven beautiful is that God is there. That we get to have God without any restrictions and interruptions. That we get to admire and enjoy God without anything, anything in between. That we get to see his beauty and enjoy his beauty and his magnificence without pain, without struggle, without shame, without sin. Heaven is not about you, it's not about me, it's about him. Enjoying him, praising him, adoring him, glorifying him. But if you noticed, heaven is multi-ethnic. Just look at the type of people that God brings to worship him. Look at, the, look at the type of people that God brings into his presence. Look at the type of people that God brings to himself. Verse 9 says that there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. That's why that as a church, we have this vision and we desire to become a multi-ethnic church. 
Because that's what the church is. The church is a group of people from every nation, tribe, ethnicity, and language. That's why we should pursue multi-ethnicity. What we want to do is to become what we already are in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. What we want is to become what we already are in Jesus Christ. Because that's what honors God. Actually, that is one of the evidences that we understand what God wants. God delights in multi-ethnicity. He delights in having a great multitude from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before him, recognizing how amazing, beautiful, powerful, and perfect he is. It's not about numbers. It's not about being cool. It's not about imitating what other people are doing. This is about God. What he has been doing, what is doing, and what he will do with and through his church. How do we do this? Well, I think that we need three things at least based on this text, I believe. We need understanding. We need humility. And for sure, we need the gospel. We need understanding, understanding to see that, this biblical, that there's a biblical concept of multi-ethnicity all through the Bible. We need humility to recognize that there are things in our heart that, that we must deal with. And we need the gospel because it's the only power to help us embrace what the Lord is calling us to do. Understanding humility, and the gospel. Let's go with the first one, understanding. It is so easy to read this passage and to assume that the Lord is painting a picture of what is yet to come and not what the Lord has been doing all through creation. But the truth of the matter is that this graduation, this celebration, this vision of a multi-ethnic church is right from the beginning of everything. So if you go to Genesis chapter one, we have this image of a God that is a triune God, God Father, God Son, and God Holy Spirit that are clearly different and yet one. Right from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter, chapter one, we see how it's possible to be one and yet be different. is this picture of unity in diversity. It's a picture of unity in diversity. Isn't that what Revelation chapter seven shows? Then if we go to Genesis chapter two, we see the same God creating two human beings that are both the same and different. The same because they are both created in the image of God with the same value and dignity and yet different because he's a man and a woman. Now notice here that these men and this woman complement one another and need one another for the fulfilling of God's purposes. 
And if you go through the Bible, you're going to see that this is the pattern that the Bible shows for the rest of humanity. We need one another to fulfill God's purposes. And that includes people from different nations, tribes, ethnicities, and languages. I want you to listen to this really well. We best reflect the image of God in diversity and unity. We best reflect the image of God in diversity and unity. If you go to Genesis chapter 12, you see how God chooses Abraham to make of him a great nation. Interesting enough that he uses the same language that Revelation 7 uses. Revelation 7, the passage that we just read, shows the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. Since the beginning of the story of redemption, God wanted a church that will be a multi-nation, multi-tribe, multi-ethnic, and multi-language. If you would jump to Exodus chapter 12, we see how God commanded the Israelites to welcome the foreigner, the strangers, the aliens. The church of Jesus Christ is a church that believes that we are supposed to welcome into our spiritual family people that is not like us. If we jump into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1 shows us the genealogy of Jesus. And in that genealogy, we find four women that are not Jews, that are Gentiles, that have been included into Jesus' family. If you go to Matthew chapter 22, God calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves, and there are no restrictions on what that neighbor is supposed to look like. If we go to Matthew chapter 28, God calls us to make disciples of all the nations. The church of Jesus Christ is a church that believes that everyone is welcome into the family of God. If we go to Acts chapter 2, we find Pentecost. And if you remember, the Spirit of God comes upon the disciples. And Peter preaches the best sermon ever. And about 3,000 people become Christians. And John Stott says that there God shows us the multiracial, multinational, multilingual nature of the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 13. We find the leadership of the church that has a Jewish teacher and evangelist an African Gentile, a Roman Gentile. Leadership of the church. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul calls us to be one, Jews and Gentiles, one in Jesus Christ, which is the same idea of Galatians chapter three. Revelation chapter five, which is very similar to Revelation chapter seven, shows us Jesus purchasing people for God from every tribe and language, people and nation. 
to make of them a kingdom of priests, to serve God and to reign on earth. The concept of multi-ethnicity is not a one-verse thing. It's all through the Bible. This is what the church is supposed to be. So let me give you uh, at least three reasons, what we, what three things that we can learn from all these passages. Number one, the concept of multi-ethnicity is not a man-made idea. This was not created by men, invented by men. It's all through the Bible. It's in the heart of God. Number two, the Bible knows nothing about the colorblind theology. Listen, I've experienced these people, well-meaning people, people that love the Lord and know that love me, and they tell me things like, I don't see you, I don't see color, I just see Jesus in you. And they mean well, but that's not biblical. What's biblical is the opposite. We see color, but we see it beautiful. Because every ethnicity was created by God. Every race was created by God. Every culture was created by God for his glory, his purposes. Number three, the Bible knows nothing about the melting pot. The assimilation process, there's this idea uh, for some people that if you become a Christian, you have to stop being who God made you to be. Ethnically speaking, unity does not mean uniformity. We wouldn't be able to have the Trinity if that was true. Unity does not mean uniformity. Every culture, every race, every ethnic group has something given by God in his common grace that makes them special. Tim Keller puts it this way. Different cultures and races have different abilities, glories, and splendors analogous to the different gifts of the body of Christ. We best display the beauty and the majesty of God as a multi-ethnic community. No single ethnic group has it all together. We need one another. God delights in multi-ethnicity. God delights in having a great multitude from every nation and tribe People, language, standing before him, recognizing that he's amazing, beautiful, powerful, and perfect. That everything he does is perfect. That's what we need to understand. That's why, as a church, we must pursue this. But understanding is not enough, you know? In order for us to become multi-ethnic, we need humility. Humility to recognize that even though this is all through the Bible, and people have talked about this for centuries, multi-ethnicity is not easy. 
And the reason why I need you to understand this is because God is calling us to something that requires that we extend grace and receive grace. God is calling us to patience. God is calling us to humility. And let me tell you why, and maybe you two reasons why. We, everyone here today, we all have ethnic and cultural preferences. Sociologists call this implicit bias, meaning that deep down inside, we all have been shaped by our culture, by our context, by our history, and we tend to see our own ethnic group as superior to others. That's all of us. That's humanity. Actually, we have a really good example of that in Numbers chapter 12. Moses marries this dark-skinned woman, and his relatives, Miriam and Aaron, criticized him because he married that woman. Because of that, God brings judgment upon Miriam and gives her leprosy. John Piper argues, among other scholars, that this punishment was according to the punish, to her prejudice attitude. If skin color was an issue to her, it was in her skin where she would receive punishment. This is true for many of us. This is true for me. And this is how I find out. The preacher that is talking about multi-ethnicity has the same issue. So a few years ago, I was having a conversation with one of my daughters, and we were talking about um, her future husband. (laughs) A conversation I did not find interesting, and I had to pretend like if I care. In this conversation, she tells me the most terrifying words, words that I ever heard. She says, I don't like Latinos that much. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Don't you want all of this? She says, no, I think I would like to marry like a white man or ethnically mixed man. That'll be cool. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And he tells me, color don't matter. It doesn't matter if he's a Latino. It doesn't matter if he's white or mixed. It doesn't matter if he's an African American or a nation. It doesn't matter. What matters is that he loves the Lord and loves her. Any color is good. And he humbled the lights out of me. And he showed me the reality of my heart. Very subtle, but there. 
Micah Edmonton, she's a Presbyterian pastor, he says this, we are socially conditioned by messages about who's important and who's not, who's precious and who's expendable, who should be in and who should be out. Race, class, and gender are default lines of sinful disparity and division that pass from the world right into the church. This is not what we're supposed to be. And the second reason why multi-ethnicity is so complicated is because we read life through the lenses, through our cultural lenses through ethnic lenses. And anyone that is not like me, I am so easily, I, I so easily dismissed. And I'm gonna prove it to you. I'm gonna grab some examples here from real life. Let's talk about the concept of time. <laughs> there are some cultures some ethnicities in which time is money, time is productivity, time is discipline. The problem with those, some of those cultures is that we tend to put time and money and discipline and productivity over people and over relationships. But there are other cultures and ethnic groups that we tend to put people over time. But that's also an issue because it's so hard to be productive when you keep getting interrupted. How about if we learn from one another? How about if we recognize that we need one another? Let's talk about personal space. Listen, if you're, if you're Hispanic, if you're an Italian, you know, kind of the, the Latinos group, Personal touch is very important. If you're from North America, I'm generalizing here, if you're European, if you're Japanese, for example, you need your personal space. Have you ever seen people from these two groups trying to hug? How awkward that is. So here I'm coming in with all my Latinness, and I want to hug the person, and the person goes, fist bump. That is so crazy. <laughs> but how about if we learn from one another? Maybe I won't get sick as much. <laughs> Let's talk about worship. Intensity and volume. One group would say, why do you guys have to be so loud? And the other group says, why do you have to be so boring? <laughs> One group says, why is your worship so long? The other group says, you don't know how to worship. How about if we learn from one another? Individualism versus community. I lived in Latin America 17 years. I don't ever remember hearing the concept of the me time. 
That doesn't exist in Latin America. People just come to your house. They don't ask for permission. They show up and they expect you to give them food. There's another group that says, no, I need my me time because I need to rest and be productive. But the Bible does show you that you need time for you to grow, right? For devotional time to rest, to be productive. But the Bible calls us to welcome anyone into your home. How about if we learn from one another? Tradition versus Tradition culture versus modern culture. In the tradition culture, family is very important. To honor authorities is very important. In the modern culture, the individual is more important than the family, and freedom is more important than authority. You know what's interesting, though? That the Bible shows that family is important, to honor authorities is important, that personal responsibility is important, and that you got to learn how to make decisions by yourself. How about if we help one another? Here's the crazy idea. How about if we learn from one another and allow ourselves to be changed by others? Because that's what a multi-ethnic church is. We need to understand that a multi-ethnic church, it's a biblical concept. And that the Lord delights in multi-ethnicity. But because understanding is not enough, we need humility. Humility because that will be the only way that we can actually deal with our ethnic cultural preferences. Humility so we could actually uh, accept that we read other cultures through our cultural lenses. The question is this, can we do it? Is it possible for a church like ours to become multi-ethnic? And I wanna think that it is possible. Because we have something that humanism doesn't have. Everyone talks about multi-ethnicity. This is not unique to the church. Everyone talks about uh, uh, multi-ethnicity, but it's only the church of Jesus Christ that has the number one tool and the power to make this happen. And it's the gospel. So Revelation chapter seven shows us this multiracial, multinational, multilingual congregation. Now look at, look at how interesting this is. Because it says that they were all wearing white robes. And in verse 10 says that in the worship time, they are crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. And those two things are so important for us to understand. When he uses the phrase white robes, it's a symbolic image that explains how Christians have been forgiven, accepted, and adopted into the family of God. Revelations 5 says, because we were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the image here 
is that God makes no, even though he sees distinctions, he embraces anybody to his home. So it doesn't matter what color you are, what ethnicity you are, what culture you are, what race you are. In Jesus, you have been purchased for God and have been forgiven, accepted, and adopted. So when you look at someone that, is, that, that doesn't look like you in Jesus, that brother, that sister has the same father, the same brother, and the same spirit. To dishonor that brother or sister is to dishonor God. To dishonor that image of God is to dishonor God. But it also says that salvation belongs to the Lord. And he's telling us that this purchasing, this redemption, this forgiveness was God's idea. It was God extending grace to all of us. It is telling us that we did not have to work for our salvation because salvation belongs to God. Do you know why that's so important? Because we are all in the same boat. The only reason why you're a Christian is because of the grace of God. The only reason why you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, is because of the mercy of God. No one here, no one here is superior to anyone else because we all received the grace of God. People from every nation and tribe and ethnicity and language stand before God because our God is merciful and full of grace. That's exactly why Jesus went to the cross. To make of us, people of every nation, tribe, ethnicity, and language, one. So as one, we could stand before this amazing, beautiful Savior. That's why Christianity is the only religion that is represented in the entire world. Ninety percent of Muslims live in the Middle East. Ninety-eight percent of Hindus live in India. Eighty-eight percent of Buddhists live in East Asia. But Christians, twenty-five percent live in Europe. Twenty-five percent live in South and Central America. Twenty-two percent live in Africa. Fifteen percent live in Asia. Twelve percent live in North America, meaning Mexico, United States, and Canada. Do you know why this is so important? Because we are not bound to our culture, our language, our ethnicity. We are bound to Jesus Christ and him alone. Our primary identity is that we're Christians. And the beauty of the gospel is that he doesn't erase your ethnicity. He elevates it. But he doesn't elevate it so much that you forget that you're first a Christian. We forget that. David Platt a month ago preached a sermon on this. And he was the one that said that 
the most segregated day and time of the week is Sunday at 11 o'clock a.m. But he also said that the most segregated place is your dining room, my dining room. Do you see why we need to become a multi-ethnic church? I want to finish by giving you four practical things that, that you should embrace, five practical things that you should embrace if you believe that this comes from the Bible. Number one, do not be too quick to deny the presence of racism. Do some self-examination. Number two, recognize and resist the tendency to stick only with those who are racially and culturally similar to you. Resist it. Number three, understand that different cultures have somewhat different definitions of basic Christian virtues. We need one another. Try to see things from the other person's perspective and be willing to learn. And five, practice hospitality with people that is not like you. When was the last time that you had someone that is not like you in your home? When was the last time? How about if we change that? Because the gospel makes it possible. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Martin Luther King Jr. once said that he had a dream. A dream to see his little daughters dancing and talking with other girls that represented different races and cultures and ethnic groups. That's my dream. That's WBC's dream. That's Rob's dream. That's the elder's dream. Please make it our church's dream. Help us, Lord, do what we are called to do. To be willing to love unconditionally and sacrificially. Because at the end of the day, what we want is people from every nation and tribe and ethnicity and language standing before you, recognizing that you are awesome. Recognizing that you're beautiful. Recognizing that you are merciful. Please, Lord, make it happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church says, Amen.